following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Change the way you see yourself every day. So let's look at this. Uh, let's compare, kind of examine forgiveness and cleansing to start with. And really to get the, the, the best context of this or background, we can look into how it's pictured in the Old Testament. Right? And really, uh, a lot of times we don't, we don't value the Old Testament, but understanding what's going on in the Old Testament explains most of what Jesus did on the cross. Right? And without that backdrop of what was going on in the Old Testament, we, we really miss what, what took place when Jesus died on the cross. And we see in the Old Testament that there were uh, basically uh, two requirements to deal with sin. Right? Uh, one was the blood of atonement or forgiveness. The second was the need for cleansing or purifying from sin. Uh, the first, uh, the blood of atonement or forgiveness, was made by offering a blood sacrifice. So if you sinned, you would have to bring a lamb or a goat or a bull, depending on the extent of the sin and kind of your position. Uh, the, the worse the sin and the higher up you were, the more expensive the sacrifice needed to be. But that's not what was important. The important part is that you would bring a living animal that belonged to you, and you would bring it to the temple, and the first thing that you would do is you would lay your hands on its head. And it was a picture of really taking our guilt, our sin, our wrongdoings, and laying them on that animal. And while your hands are on its head, right, little, your little pet lamb that you raised since it was a little thing, little cute beady eyes looking up at you, and you got your head on its, petting its head, and while you're doing that, the priest comes up with a big knife and cuts its throat, and it dies right there in your hands, right? Kind of a, not a very pleasant experience for the lamb, for sure, and maybe a little unsettling for you, right, as you realize this is the price of sin, this is the cost of our wrongdoings. Um, we, 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 we need atonement, we need forgiveness, and the only way that forgiveness can be bought is with blood, with the life of a living creature. Right? And that's the consequence, that's the price of our sin. And so the one who brought the lamb was, was aware of their own guilt, aware, aware that they had broken God's commandment in some way or in many ways, and that that... Uh, breaking of God's law, breaking His commandment, required a sacrifice because the consequences, the wages of sin is death. And uh, it's either the lamb dies or I die to make things right. And so the, the lamb was a substitute who would take our place. And, and so then the, the priest would take some of the blood and it would sprinkle it here and there, sprinkle it there, sprinkle it on the altar. Uh, but most significantly, not, not every time, but uh, ultimately the priest would take some of that blood into the tabernacle into the tent to the most holy of holies and in, in, in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant and the mercy seat and it pictured God's presence it was like the place where the presence and glory of God would hover over this mercy seat and the, the priest would sprinkle the blood before God right? and that would bring atonement it would cover the sin it would remove the guilt from Israel and, and from the people who had sinned Right? So that's dealing with guilt. That's purchasing or obtaining forgiveness. But also, in, in, uh, in the laws and in the commands, they also were requ required to purify themselves. 
Right? There were many instances and occasions where they had to wash themselves uh, to purify themselves from the effects of sin. But in this case, they're not dealing with guilt, but with the greater effects of sin. And so uh, there are many cases where they would have to wash themselves, but two of the most uh, memorable or uh, stand out are first if you came in contact with anything dead, right? Um, somebody died in your house or you uh, came across a dead animal and you had to move it or touch it. Um, and, and when that happened, there's a sense that, uh, of course, touching a dead person or a dead animal wasn't sin, but there's a sense that uh, death was the ultimate effect of sin. It was the ultimate effect. The ultimate consequence of sin was death. And so when you came in contact and exposed yourself to, to death, you were, you were in a sense being contaminated, being corrupted, being defiled by the ultimate consequence of sin. So even though it wasn't guilt, you hadn't done anything wrong, yet you're still, uh, some, some of the effects of, of sin are sticking to you. And that required washing. And so there's this very elaborate uh, ex- explanation of how this works in Numbers 19. Uh, I'll read just two verses. It says, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, so he, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third and seventh day, he will not become clean. And he would be um, thrown out of, of the people. He would be defiled and unclean in Israel. It was a big deal, right? And uh, the, the chapter goes on to describe this, this holy water, this special water, and they would take um, and they would burn together a red heifer and some hyssop and some scarlet thread and they'd burn it uh, all together and they would take the, the ashes and they'd sprinkle it in this water and make, they'd make this kind of holy special soap, <laughs> right? this water uh, that would cleanse you, right? It would cleanse you uh, from the stain of sin. Uh, the same thing was true if you got leprosy and were cured. Um, for leprosy, of course, leprosy is not a sin, right? You get a skin disease. It's not, it's not sin, right? I hope. I've got athlete's foot. I hope it's not sin. Right? Um, get a rash. No, it's just, it's just the, but it's the effects of sin, right? It's the same way. Like death, it is the consequence. It, it, the, the world is broken, and disease and sickness are all signs or indicators of the effects of sin. The greater consequences of sin. So in the same way, if you were healed, you would need to cleanse yourself with a very similar mixture of, of ash and you know, red heifers and tree branches and all this stuff, right? So, um, so you need to be washed with, with water. Uh, so you can kind of picture of it as like hand, tie, hand sanitizer in the midst of COVID, right? Remember those days when every time you went to Big C, you'd come back and you'd, you know, wash yourself all over with hand sanitizer, make sure you get rid of COVID germs, right? Well, it's the kind of the picture of it. There, there's these, the, the filth, the stain, the germs of sin were on you, and you needed to be washed clean. So, so we see that this idea of, of, of forgiveness and and cleansing are two, applied to two different, very different spheres, right? Forgiveness is something that took place in the tabernacle, uh, at the altar, and, and ultimately in the Holy of Holies where that blood was brought before God. Uh, washing had to do really with your own body, with your own self, right? So, so uh, first we see that the issue of dealing with uh, uh, forgiveness is, is essentially dealing with guilt, right? Uh, 
Forgiveness deals with our guilt before God. And guilt is a legal term that describes our position before God as lawbreakers deserving of punishment. Right? That's, the, that's how guilt is used. It's, it's a legal word. It means that um, somebody has uh, been charged with a crime and they've been brought into the courtroom before the judge and the judge examines them and looks at the facts and evidence of the case. And if there's proof and evidence that this person has broken the law, then they hand down the verdict of guilty. And it means that the facts say, you broke the law. And because of that, there's a consequence. So after the verdict, then they hand down a sentence. And the sentence is what you need to do, the punishment, or what you need to do to pay for the crime and make it right. right? And, and so that's what guilt is. And sin has affected us. It has made us guilty before God. And so when we sin, we uh, are breaking his laws and commands, and we are proving ourselves to be traitors against the king of the universe, rebels against him. And, and the facts are there. Uh, people will stand in judgment before God, and, and God's not just going to look at you and, and have an, a, a vague opinion about you and say, well, that's a nice-looking face, you know. I can't imagine somebody as cute as you could do anything that bad. Ah, we'll let it go, right? Or maybe he comes and looks at me and says, oh man, what a dreadful looking guy you are. <laughs> you must be guilty of a lot, right? No. Uh, he judges based on actual facts of our behavior, what we have and haven't done, the attitudes and, and thoughts of our heart toward him. And we are either guilty or innocent. And of course, the Bible makes it very clear that all of us have sinned against God. We have fallen short of his glory. We have all acted with, with treasonous hearts towards our king. And so we are all guilty uh, as lawbreakers and rebels and, and the, the sentence is death, right? Uh, but praise God, uh, there is forgiveness, right? There is forgiveness. Uh, the blood of Jesus secures forgiveness. Well, how does it do that? Well, it removes our guilt and puts us in right standing before God legally, not by changing the facts, Right? The blood of God doesn't, uh, the blood of Jesus doesn't uh, come before God and, and Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, I died on the cross. I shed my blood for, for, for these people. And so um, they didn't really sin. No, that's not how it works, right? Um, we have sinned. That's the facts. What it changes is the penalty, right? The death sentence, we, we deserve the death sentence. And, and, and God, as judge, has handed down a, and placed upon us a death sentence. And when Jesus died, he, like that lamb, was a substitute who took our place. He stepped in and took our punishment. He took upon himself our guilt. And he paid the price for our sin when he died on the cross. And so when he stands before God with, with his own blood, and, and, and God says, You are guilty. And Jesus says, they are guilty, but I have paid the price in full. I have paid 100% of the penalty with my own life. The penalty was death, and I died as a substitute for them. And here's my blood to prove it. And so there is no longer a punishment. There's no longer anything that they can do to pay for their sin because it's been paid for in full. Right? So we are forgiven on the basis of Jesus' death. Uh, there's, no, there's no more punishment to pay. There's no more penalty to be covered because Jesus paid it all. So, so the remedy for guilt is forgiveness. Right? 
It's just taking care, dealing with the penalty so that it's paid for, so there's no longer guilt. Like this, the sentence has been served, and, and there's no longer guilt. But, uh, but cleansing is different, right? Um, we don't need cleansing because we're guilty, but because we're dirty, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I've, I've done prison work, and I've gone into prison, so these, these, most of these guys were squeaky clean, right? Uh, but they're guilty, um, uh, we can be not guilty, but still be dirty. And, and sin, uh, as we see in the Old Testament, it, it contaminates us, right? And so what we need uh, is, is not, not forgiveness, but we need a bath. Right? We need a bath, right? There's something about the way sin sticks to us that needs washing and cleansing. So, uh, two important passages in, in, in scriptures in First John 1. Uh, John writes, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. And, and John here is not speaking of forgiveness. Right? He's speaking of cleansing, of washing. And it's something very different. And he repeats it then again in, in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, two uh, very different and separate things happen uh, as Jesus' blood is applied to our life. And what, what's important to see is that dealing with guilt is mostly something done on God's side. Right? The blood is taken into the realms of heaven before the judge and... Um, a case is made for our, our, our forgiveness before the judge. But washing is actually something we experience personally. Right? Washing is something that happens to us. And that's how it was in the Old Testament. Right? The, atone, the blood of atonement was taken into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. And, and the, the sinner stood outside and they had no idea what was going on there. Except for it was making a lot of noise. Right? They had no idea what was going on in there. They just trusted that, uh, that the blood was dealing with their sin before God. But washing was very different. Washing was super personal because you actually put the water on your own body and you felt it, right? It was something that you encountered that was intimate and personal. Uh, uh, you can imagine Joseph uh, back in the Old Testament, right? Remember Joseph ended up in prison, falsely charged. He was not actually guilty, but uh, he was in prison nonetheless, and uh, people outside of prison were having conversations about Joseph. And they were saying, there's a guy who can interpret dreams. And Pharaoh said, I want to see this guy. You've got to get this guy out of jail. Um, now, the moment Pharaoh said, get him out of jail, right, things changed for Joseph. But did Joseph experience anything? No, right? As far as he knew, things were unchanged. But then somebody showed up at the prison and they opened the door and they took him out. And um, back in those days, prisoners did not have showers, right? Uh, prison life was horrible. And it had probably been, well, we know that Joseph had been there for at least two years. And uh, it is likely that he had been two years without taking a bath. Just picture that for a minute, right? Um, two years without washing his clothes. Two years of living in the filth of that place. And it says that they took Joseph out of the prison and they did what? They washed him and they gave him new clothes and they cut his hair and he shaved. 
I'm thinking, Joseph's thinking, I don't know what's happened, but man, my life just got a whole lot better. Right? He doesn't know that he's about to meet Pharaoh. He doesn't know what God has in store for him, that his life is about to take a dramatic turn. What he knows is, ah, wow, I'm clean. Right? I'm clean. This feels so good. Right? And that's the difference between uh, dealing with our guilt and dealing with our dirtiness. Right? The, the problem is that with the, the contaminating effect of sin means that we need a bath. We need washing. And that washing is very personal and intimate. It's something that happens not at the throne of heaven, but that happens to us in our body and in our soul. I think something else we need to clarify uh, real briefly is the difference between being guilty and feeling guilt. Feeling guilty. Between the state of guilt and just feeling guilty about things. Um, you see, guilt has to do with our position before the law. As we said, it's what happens in court. It has to do with the facts of what we have or have not done, how we've behaved. Right? And it's something that, um, uh, that a judge determines, uh, regardless of whether or not we agree with it. Right? In, a perfect, uh, in perfect justice, right? a judge will determine the facts of a case and will determine our guilt whether we feel guilty or not. I used to, uh, back in the days when we played my banjo and a mandolin a lot more, we used to go into prisons with this little bluegrass group, and we would sing bluegrass gospel music for prisoners, and it was always a lot of fun, and they, they enjoyed it. But the fun thing, really, was talking to these inmates after, after we'd sing, and we'd have a chance to talk with them and try to share Christ, you know. And uh, uh, I talked to a lot of inmates, and I never once talked to an inmate who said, you know, I just feel so guilty. I feel so bad. I know I messed up. None of them ever said that. They all would say, I don't belong here. Quit touching that. Um, I don't belong here. Right? I'm innocent. I had one guy. This is the honest truth. A guy actually said this to me. He said, it's not my fault that guy ran into my knife while I was holding it. <laughs> right? I was holding this knife. This guy just ran right into my knife. And died. Not my fault, right? It's like, yeah, sure, buddy. You just convince yourself whatever you, you need to, right? They did not feel guilty. But a judge had declared them guilty, right? By the facts of the case, it decided, no, you have broken the law, right? Um, so, so that's guilt, right? Guilt has to do, regardless of how we feel about something, it has to do with the facts of a case. Have we or broken the law or not? But uh, feeling guilty is all about how we feel about ourselves. It's really about our conscience, right? And our conscience is that, that thing in us that uh, makes us feel some pain, some tugging when, we, when we're disappointed with ourselves or when, when we know we've disappointed others. Andrew Murray writes, he says, the conscience is the sense that pervades our whole spiritual nature and at once notices and reports what is wrong or right in our state. Right? It tells us how we're doing. And it tells us if we're right or wrong in our state, in our heart, in our being. Uh, but, but it's not in a legal sense. Right? The, the fact is, you may not have broken any laws and you can still feel guilty. Uh, more significantly... Uh, Jesus can take our sin on the cross. He can cancel our debt. 
He can pay the penalty for our sin and make it all right before God. But we can still feel guilty. Right? And and that's what happens to us. Jesus has, uh, through His death, has dealt with our sin before God. And if we put our faith in Christ, the Bible makes it very clear that in God's eyes, we are holy and blameless. He does not see our sin. Right? It is removed. It is gone. It is covered. He holds none of that over us. He sees us as pure and innocent and holy. But can we still feel guilty? Well, yes. And, and oftentimes we do, right? We feel bad uh, because we know we have messed up. We know that we've failed people. And, and we know that uh, we've disappointed ourselves. We didn't live up to our expectations of who we thought we were. And so we feel bad about ourselves. But more importantly, oftentimes our mistakes and our sins have hurt other people. It has fractured relationships. And we feel bad about that. Right? We, we feel disappointed uh, that we are not pleasing to other people, that we've disappointed them, that we've hurt them. We've caused problems in the relationship. We feel bad. Right? Uh, that's the role of our conscience. Um, and, and most importantly, um, our conscience reminds us that when we're not pleasing to God, that's its most important role, that I have, I have failed God and I, my life is not pleasing to Him. So, so our conscience is ultimately the place where sin has left the deepest and most ugly stain. Right? When we sin... It, it, it violates our relationship with God and it, it brings His justice down on us. But it also puts a stain on our own life. The Bible uses this picture often of being invited to a wedding and needing to put on, back in those days, they would wear uh, wedding robes, oftentimes provided by the person hosting the wedding. And they would need to be pure, beautiful, uh, clean uh, robes. Uh, and you, you wouldn't want to show up with those robes stained, right? Um, really, Cinderella is, is a story about this. The story, the story of Cinderella is, is, a, is a great picture of this, right? She's invited to the ball. And it's, it's the ball. It's not just the ball. It's not just a dance or a party. But it's, um, it, it's, it's a game show <laughs> to find a bride for the prince, right? And so not only is she going in, to the ball, but there's the hope of meeting the prince and, and him falling in love with you. But, of course, Cinderella, you know, her stepsisters are all going, and they say, aren't you going to the dance? And what does she say? Well, she says, I can't go. Why can't she go? Because she doesn't have the right clothes, right? It would be disgraceful for her to show up in her rags, right? Smelly and uh, her hair a mess and in rags. Uh, and, and if the prince were to see her like that, it would be disgraceful. It would be shameful. And so, of course, Cinderella is not going to go to the ball. It would be embarrassing. It would be shameful. She knows she wouldn't belong there in rags. And see, that's exactly the picture of us. Uh, The stain of sin makes us feel unfit and unworthy to be in the presence of the prince as his prospective bride. We know that there's something messed up with us and we don't belong there in our, our... Stained, filthy rags. Um, David, in, in the Psalms, 
captures the, the spirit of this so well in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Both Psalms probably connected with David's sin with Bathsheba, if not just with his sins in general. Uh, and you get this picture of how David felt as a result of his sin. And it wasn't just his guilt. It wasn't just that he was a lawbreaker, but uh, it, it ate him up inside. So in Psalm 32, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Right? David's uh, poetically expressing just his conscience, his, his feelings that he knows he's wrong with God. He knows he has displeased God. And then in Psalm 51, he, he, uh, he pictures what he desires and what he prays for. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, that's, that's all things that, that David felt painfully in his own conscience, in his own heart, in his own soul. And he knew that things were not right with God. And whatever uh, guilt offering could bring forgiveness, that wasn't the same as the cleansing and washing that he needed in his own soul and spirit to relieve him from this, this oppression of knowing things were not right between him and God. Well, the good news for us is that Jesus has removed this stain from our conscience through his blood. Right? Jesus' blood deals with our guilt before God, but it also cleanses us from sin. Uh, John 1, seven again, But if we walk in the light as he, that is, Jesus is the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right? It washes it away. But the writer of Hebrews says it even better. In Hebrews 9.14, notice what he says. He says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will he purify our conscience from dead works? Purify our conscience from dead works. What a great picture, right? See, we know uh, in our minds that we are not right with God. But Jesus comes and he cleanses us, not just from sin, but he cleanses our conscience. Right? He removes that stain uh, of sin from our conscience and removes the record of it from our thoughts. Uh, he makes it right not only with God, but he makes it right in our own heart so that we have a sense that we are no longer disappointing to God, but we are well-pleasing to him. And now we're not well-pleasing to him because we always do things right. But we are well-pleasing to God because we have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Our filthy rags have been replaced with the righteousness of Christ. Right? The stains have been removed. We have been, like Joseph, washed up and cleaned up so that we are fit to stand before the king. Right? Um, our, uh, the, the work of the blood of Christ is to scrub our conscience free from the feelings of guilt and self-condemnation. And that's the work of the blood of Christ. And I will tell you, there is no way to get rid of that guilt otherwise. Right? Now, there is a way to dull our conscience, and we'll talk about that later. 
but but the blood of Jesus alone has the power to cleanse, to wipe away and remove um, our, our self-condemnation. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says a little bit later in chapter 2, he says, um, talking about those who, who, who don't apply, apply the blood of Jesus, he says, otherwise, um, he's, he's talking about the, the priests who have to keep offering the sacrifice over and over again. Right? Jesus died once. And the writer of Hebrews is com- comparing the one-time sacrifice of Jesus with the offering over and over of the priests. And he says, if the if the sacrifice of the priests had been effective, they would not have they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been clean cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Right? Would no longer have any consciousness of sin. In other words, the the blood of Jesus removes our consciousness of sin. Now, does that mean we 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 totally forget everything we've ever done wrong? I wish. I wish. Um, it doesn't take it out of our memory, but it takes it away from our conscience. You see, Satan can no longer, who, Satan who is the accuser, can no longer keep bringing those things up to our conscience to make us feel guilty. Because Jesus washes it away from our conscience. He cleanses us. He takes away um, the remembrance of it to our conscience. How does Jesus do that? Well, in Hebrews 9, he says, But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation. In other words, the, the tabernacle in heaven. He entered once for all into the holy places in heaven, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right, basically, Jesus' blood is effective for, for three simple reasons. First, because it's presented in the true temple in the holy places of heaven. The Old Testament was just a picture of what Jesus would ultimately do. Jesus presented his own blood before the Father in heaven. Secondly, it says that Jesus offered himself as a spotless lamb without blemish to God. His blood is affected because he is the lamb, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, thirdly, it says that he did, did it through his eternal spirit. Right? He wasn't just a man, but he's eternal God. Uh, spotless, blameless, who presented his blood as the perfect sacrifice for us. Right? So we are washed, we are cleansed. Okay, so, so, so just to summarize real quick, right? Guilt is dealing with uh, our sin before God. Cleansing is dealing with sin as it affects our own heart and soul and conscience. Right? Jesus' blood effectively deals with both. Um, but the, the truth is that uh, what, what uh, Jesus has done before God, the Father in heaven, is un- indisputed, Right? God never doubts the blood of his son, right? So there's never a moment when you and I sin, we fail, we mess up, when, when God the Father has to think, okay, now, how do we fix this again? <laughs> uh, what was the cure again? I think I'm supposed to judge them. Yeah, I'm supposed to judge. No, right? No, it's never, it is so settled, so settled before God that there's never a doubt or a thought of your innocence, Right? Your, your holiness before him. 
Right? And Jesus is our advocate who sits constantly at the right hand of the Father, and not that God needs reminding, not that God you know, ever doubts, but he's there as our advocate. And if Satan ever has a voice of accusation, Jesus says, sorry, it's paid for. Like there's no, there's no further accusation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right? Um, but on our side, it's different, Right? On our side, it's different. We sin, and uh, we um, really probably should feel guilty. Right? That's the role of our conscience. It's how it's supposed to work. So how do we apply Jesus' blood to bring about this cleansing in our own conscience? How do we experience the washing and relief and release of the stain of sin? Well, let me just give you... uh, few quick steps to apply Jesus' blood for your own cleansing. First, we need to understand that we need cleansing, right? I think one of the problems is that we just assume, well, Jesus' death just somehow deals with all of my sin and I don't have to worry about it, but I feel guilty, right? Uh, we, we need to understand how this all works, right? It's important for us to understand that there's a difference between forgiveness and cleansing and that what mostly needs to be cleansed is our conscience and our soul, um, from our own failures. We need to understand uh, really what, what's going on in First uh, John 1, 7 through 9, when he says, uh, Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So we've talked about that. So now we have a better understanding. Second thing, though, is we need to desire to be clean. Um, now this might sound kind of obvious, right? Um, but, but John says in verse 8, of First John 1. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, you see, conscience is kind of like a sharp stick. A sharp and pointed stick. And um, we used to use these sometimes when we would herd cattle. You take that sharp stick and you poke it in the cow and it wakes it up and gets it moving, right? And that's what conscience is supposed to be. Does. It's supposed to be an alarm. Pokes us. Hey, you're messing up, right? And it's supposed to, we're supposed to feel something. Uh, the problem is that, as we said, uh, there's no way to get rid of conscience, but there is a way to dull it, right? There is a way to dull it. And if you ignore that sharp stick long enough, it starts to get dull. And its, it's point doesn't, doesn't, doesn't get our attention as much anymore. And for the lost person, they have basically one of two paths. To, to, to become so despondent in guilt that they become suicidal, or to just decide they're really not that bad and just ignore conscience. Now, what do most people do? Well, you know, depression and, and despondency is not fun, right? So we just rewrite, we just change the rules. Well, I'm really not that bad. We go to a counselor who tells us, you're not that bad. You know, you're, you're good. You just are too hard on yourself. You need to love yourself more. You need to cut yourself some more slack. You just need to stuff your conscience away because your conscience is just causing you too much pain right we dull our conscience and we become comfortable being dirty and guilty we we just enjoy that state now this sounds kind of odd but i can i can i can attest to this when i was a kid i thought uh, baths were a complete total waste of water and time and i was convinced that uh, i did not need a bath not because I was dirty, but because because uh, I didn't think I was dirty. I, I, didn't, I didn't care that I was dirty. I was like, what's wrong with dirt? <laughs> right? It's good. Dirt is good. 
And, and my mom would just have to battle me every week, get in that bathtub and take a bath. And believe me, it was only once a week, but once a week was too much. It was too much, right? Uh, we can become so comfortable just being dirty. And, and, and John says, if we say we have no sin, we're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And see, one of the signs of, of life in Christ is that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is He sharpens the point of that conscience. And one of the first steps towards salvation is all of a sudden feeling a lot more conviction, a lot more guilt about our sin. And in fact, I think that uh, in the life of a believer, as we've been regenerated, as we've come to walk in the light, um, you know, when, before we were sinners, our big sins, we kind of felt bad about, but we didn't even see our little sins. But as, as we've come into walk in the light to be in God's character and in His holiness, all of a sudden, even the little things ought to cause us great disappointment, Right? And we realize that all of a sudden, the things that we thought were just little sins actually displease God. And that hurts us, right? It ought to make us feel lousy when we know we have disappointed God, that our life is not pleasing to Him. When we've disappointed our spouse or our kids or our parents or our friends or coworkers. And, and it, uh, my experience has been that I feel much worse even about the small little things now than I used to. Well, this seems a little bit unfair, right? It's like, well, now I just have a lot more to feel guilty about, right? Well, and if it ended there, that would be bad, right? We, Christians would just be people consumed with feelings of guilt and self-condemnation. But, but that's not how it works, right? There is a remedy. And First John 9 tells us the third thing we need is to what? Confess our sins. Right? As, as a conscience pricks us, as we become aware of our failures and our shortcomings and how we've hurt people and how we've disappointed God and ourselves, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. It is his justice because of Jesus to not hold that sin against us, but also to cleanse us from all that unrighteousness. Right? As we confess, we, we experience this amazing washing. And it is intimate and personal. Right? This is the place where we should really experience something of God's grace. Because that pain of feeling guilty, that pain of self-condemnation is released. And I know I'm, I'm right with God. My life is well-pleasing to Him. I'm in good standing with Him. Right? Um, but the, the key is confession, right? Confessing those sins uh, immediately and often. Right? Um, unfortunately, confession has has become kind of outdated, and, and it's not part of our Christian practice anymore. But it should be. Uh, fourth thing is uh, we need to trust in Jesus' effectiveness. Right? We need to trust that it was effective before God to. Remove our guilt, but also that it is effective to remove our self-condemnation, right? And trust in the power of Jesus to to remove those feelings. Fifthly, get out of the mud, right? Get out of the mud, right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked with pigs much, but you don't waste a lot of time giving pigs a bath. Why? 
because they love the mud too much. And it doesn't matter how squeaky clean you make them, the first chance they, they, they have to get back in the mud puddle, man, they are diving all in. All in, right? Uh, that's part of how their nature works, and for them it's actually a good thing, right? Um, they love the mud. They need the mud. They live in the mud. It's how they live, right? We are not pigs, right? God did not give us cleansing so that we would turn back to the mud. And there needs to be a turning away from sin. Right? A lot of times we feel guilty because, not because we messed up once, but because we've messed up for the hundredth time. Right? And we're going to talk next week about uh, applying the blood for sanctification. That is to overcome the power of sin over our life. Right? We need to get away from the mud, get away from the, the filth and junk of sin and pursue a life of holiness. Lastly, we'll close with this. Uh, we need to uh, learn to enjoy its blessings. We've been given an incredible gift in that Jesus has washed us. Right? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I, I didn't like, I mean, I, I liked being dirty. Now, it's really quite irritating. Right? I'm out on a hot day, and it's humid, and I'm working, and I'm sweaty, and sticky, and smelly, and gross, Dirty, right? I'm no longer happy with that, right? I want, I want to get clean. Not only that, but the people around me are not real happy with it either. Denise doesn't want to give me a big hug when I'm all gross and smelly, right? Uh, there's something refreshing about being washed and cleansed. And that, that's the, the David in Psalms 51. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Right? Part of what he wanted to be washed is to be restored to a place of joy in his relationship with Christ. And, and that's the benefit, that's the blessing of this washing, is that we know our life is now well-pleasing to God. Right? We know we're right with Him. And that is a huge blessing. That is a huge eternal blessing to know that we, our life is pleasing to Him. Right? The sin is gone, the guilt is gone, we're, we're, we're washed, the stains have been taken away. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and He welcomes us. Right? That brings us to the second great, great blessing. Like Cinderella, we have access to the ball. We have access to the very throne of God, in fact. Right? Hebrews 10.22, as the writer of Hebrews goes through this whole argument, it really reaches its climax in, in verse 22 of chapter 10 where he says, Therefore, in light of all this, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We, we can draw into the very throne of God, to the very presence of God. Uh, and we don't have to be ashamed we can come boldly, he says in chapter 4, come boldly to the throne of grace where we will find grace and mercy for help in our time of need. Right? That's amazing. Right? We don't have to be like Cinderella in her rags worried about you know, being unfit to, to go meet the prince. Right? We have been washed and cleansed. We now are fit and worthy. And he invites us to draw near, right? Draw near. Um, I invite you as we pray um, 
is your conscience clear? Is it clean? You know, have you have you applied the blood of Jesus? Have you confessed those sins? Uh, have you experienced his washing? Are you living in his presence? Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.